Welcome back to the Hemingway List for Book 12, Chapter 1 of War and Peace. Let's take a wide look at the start of Book 12, also the final volume in other editions. What do you think of the shift back in time and to Petersburg? We have some interesting information about... Oh, sorry, we hear some information interesting information about Helena. We also see Anna Pavlova and Vasily. How are you feeling? Thoughts? How am I feeling? I'm feeling good. Ripster66 says, I love going back to one of these Petersburg soirees after so much has happened and we've come to know some of the characters they gossip about so well. The book opened on one of these gatherings before we knew anyone and we've gone back a few times and every time it feels a little different. Not because the party has changed, do they ever, but because our perspective has changed. Very cool. Uh... It's funny they're still just doing swanky soirees even though their country's being invaded. And the other thing that struck me is how Helena was the the, the, the darling of those soirees, you know? She was the absolute cream of the crop and everyone loved to talk about how amazing she was and that was all you heard about her. Now she is the topic of a bit of a scandal and now it's all kind of like that fake you know fakeness that Anna Pavlovna's just gossiping about her under the guise of caring for her and saying how sweet she is but you can tell she's also just trying to spread the rumours about her the not so nice rumours about her Twisted Every Way says back to Anna's everything seems the same I did laugh at Ippolit trying to insert witty comments seems like although they talk of Napoleon and everything they aren't really concerned about the war or Moscow Kara Kikar says the absence of Pierre and Andre at the soiree was something I felt those two had a way of grounding the fiddle faddle without them it seems like so much puffery which I assume it always was yeah for real really good point the soiree is not a place you want to hang out when there's not those grounding elements of Andre and Pierre there to sort of be the everyman, to to um, make fun of the whole thing, or to be bored, actively bored with the whole thing, or to challenge the whole thing with Pierre saying, you know, his political opinions and stuff like that. Fuller Souls in a Bowl says, Vasily reading the letter with alternating despair and tenderness without any regard as to the content of the letter itself just sums up the soirees perfectly. As Shakespeare said, it is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. I really loved that description of the way he read because it's so cringy, you know, and it captures that so much. You know people that read like that, they put all this emphasis on certain words that don't really suit that emphasis I guess you see it all the time with YouTube you can tell when someone's reading on a YouTube clip because they'll just emphasize random words and you're like why why are you emphasizing that word of that sentence um, and they just do it even to a more and even greater extent you know you see like um, preachers and stuff like that they do it to the extent where it's like it throws you off how, how weird their emphasis is on the weirdest parts of their sentences. Um, and they do that to keep you kind of engaged in what they're saying by how kind of random and interesting it is. And it's not really interesting, but it's just like, you know, it's a little hack to, to add some kind of dynamics to their speaking. 
Warren Kovofi says, now that we've read 900 plus pages of this story, I've started to think that these soirees frequenters are all a bunch of buffoons. All the gossiping, etiquette, ass-kissing, theatrics. I found it sort of charming early on, but I'm reminded more than ever why Pierre and Andre uh, hated... I don't know, there's a, a word missing there. Something these morons weren't one of these morons. Uh, that said, I'm glad to get a return to the society stories again. Also, I love the irony of Anna Pavlovna passive-aggressively shaming someone for supposedly not being patriotic while Russia is at war with France, all the while her and her clique converse in French. That is quite ironic. I think there's probably a lot of irony in Anna Pavlovna because she's so fake. She's so two-faced that she probably contradicts herself all the time. Let's read the next chapter. Chapter 2. Anna Pavlovna's presentiment. Oh yeah, I did want to point out before I start actually. I thought it was really interesting. The final line in the in chapter 1, yesterday's chapter, in the um, the Gutenberg uh, Maud translation, the final line was this, I have a favorable presentiment. And I thought that's a weird sentence. I don't really even... I was trying to wrap my head around it. Um, the final line in the what's this Briggs Briggs translation says this I have a funny feeling it will be something good how different is that I have a funny feeling it will be something good and in the other one I have a favorable presentiment <laughs> uh, one is just so much more plain English I think I know which one I prefer to the plain because who would ever say I have a favorable presentiment was that a thing anyone ever said Maybe it was. Maybe that was like a normal phrase back then. Anywho, let's go. Anna Pavlovna's presentiment was, in fact, fulfilled. Next day, during the service at the palace church in honor of the emperor's birthday, Prince Volkonsky, Volkonsky was called out of the church and received a dispatch from Prince Kutuzov. It was Kutuzov's report written from Tataranova on the day of the battle. Kutuzov wrote that the Russians had not retreated a step that the French losses were much heavier than ours, and that he was writing in haste from the field of battle before collecting full information. It followed that there must have been a victory. And at once, without leaving the church, thanks were rendered to the Creator for his help and for the victory. Anna Pavlovna's presentiment was justified, and all that morning a joyously festive mood, mood reigned in the city. Everybody believed the victory to have been complete, and some even spoke of Napoleon having been captured, of his deposition, and of the choice of a new ruler for France. It's very difficult for events to be reflected in their real strength and completeness amid the conditions of court life and far from the scene of action. General events involuntarily grouped themselves around some particular incident. So now the courtier's pleasure was based as much on the fact that the news had arrived on the emperor's birthday as on the fact of the victory itself. It was like a successfully arranged surprise. Mention was made in Kutuzov's report of the Russian losses, among which figured names of Tuchkov, Bagration, and Katosov. In the Petersburg world, this sad side of the affair again involuntarily centered around the single incident, Kutuzov's death. Kutesov's death. Everybody knew him. The emperor liked him, and he was young and interesting. That day, everyone met with the words, what a wonderful coincidence, just during the service, but what a loss of Kutesov. 
How sorry I am. What did I tell about Kutuzov? said Prince Vasily, now said with a prophet's pride. I always said he was the only man capable of defeating Napoleon. But next day, no news arrived from the army and the public mood grew anxious. The courtiers suffered because of the suffering the sus- Wait, because- The courtiers suffered because of the suffering the suspense occasioned the emperor. What? That's the sentence. The courtiers suffered because of the suffering the suspense occasioned the emperor. Fancy the emperor's position, said they, and instead of extolling Kutuzov as they had done the day before, they condemned him as the cause of the emperor's anxiety. That day, Prince Vasily no longer boasted of his protege Kutuzov, but remained silent when the commander-in-chief was mentioned. Moreover, toward evening, as if everything conspired to make Petersburg's society anxious and uneasy, a terrible piece of news was added. Countess Helena Buzukova had suddenly died. Oh of that terrible malady it had been so agreeable to mention. Officially, at large gatherings, everyone said that Countess Bezakova had died of a terrible attack of angina pectoris, but in intimate circles details were mentioned of how the private physician of the Queen of Spain had prescribed small doses of a certain drug to produce a certain effect, but Helena, tortured by the fact that the old Count suspected her and that her husband, to whom she had written, that wretched profligate Pierre, had not replied, had suddenly taken a very large dose of the drug, and had died in agony before assistance could be rendered her. It was said that Prince Vasily and the old Count had turned up, turned upon the Italian, but the latter had produced such letters from the unfortunate deceased that they had immediately let the matter drop. Talk, in general, centred round the three melancholy facts, the Emperor's lack of news, the loss of Kachusov, and the death of Helena. On the third day after the Kutuzov's report, a country gentleman arrived from Moscow, and news of the surrender of Moscow to the French spread through the whole town. This was terrible. What a position for the emperor to be in. Kutuzov was a traitor, and Prince Vasily, during his visits of condolence paid to him on the occasion of his daughter's death, said of Kutuzov, whom he had formerly praised, it was excusable for him in his grief to forget what he had said. That it was impossible to expect anything else from a blind and depraved old man. I only wonder that the fate of Russia could have been entrusted to such a man. As long as this news remained unofficial, it was possible to doubt it. It was possible to doubt it. But the next day, the following communication was received from Count Rostopchin. Prince Kutuzov's adjutant has brought me a letter in which he demands police officers to guide the army of the Ryazan Road. He writes that he is regretfully abandoning Moscow, sire. Kutuzov's action decides the fate of the capital and of your empire. Russia will surrender to learn, sorry, Russia will shudder to learn of the abandonment of the city in which her greatness is centred and in which lie the ashes of your ancestors. I shall follow the army. I have had everything removed, and it only remains for me to weep over the fate of my fatherland. On receiving this dispatch, the emperor sent Prince Volkonsky to Kutuzov with the following rescript. Prince Michael Ilarionovich, since the 29th of August I have received no communication from you, yet on the 1st of September I received from the commander-in-chief of Moscow via Yaroslav the sad news that you, with the army, have decided to abandon Moscow. You can yourself imagine the effect this news has had on me. 
and your silence increases my astonishment. I am sending this by Adjutant General Prince Volkonsky to hear from you the situation of the army and the reasons that have induced you to take this melancholy decision. Alright, that's that one. A chapter of bad news. Kutuzov is a traitor, apparently. Helena is dead, apparently. And, uh... What was the other thing? <laughs> Something else bad. Some some guy died. Uh, some hero. What was his name? It's like a character we don't really know. Kuchasov. Kudayovs. Kudaysov. Anyway, okay. Who cares? <laughs> Have your say about it over on the subreddit, and I'll see you tomorrow.